I contracted yep. for a company, and one of their security measures was to occasionally send you deliberate spam, and if you clicked on it, you <laughs> failed. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That, that's hilarious. Pool. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. This episode is sponsored by Code Climate. Over 1,000 organizations trust Code Climate to help improve quality and security in their Ruby apps. Get 50% off your first three months for being a Rogues listener by starting a free trial this week. Go to rubyrogues.com slash codeclimate. This episode is sponsored by SendGrid, the leader in transactional email and email deliverability. SendGrid helps eliminate the cost and complexity of owning and maintaining your own email infrastructure by handling ISP monitoring, DKIM, SPF, feedback loops, white labeling, link customization, and more. If you'd rather focus on your business than on scaling your email infrastructure, then visit www.sendgrid.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 140 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Josh Susser. Good morning. David Brady. Hi, my name is Warner Brandis. My voice is my passport. Verify me. Avdi Grimm. Hello from Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week we have a special guest, and that's uh, Richard uh, Schneeman. Howdy from Austin, Texas. So before we get started, we do have a couple of announcements. The first one is is that we had several people let us know that they couldn't buy t-shirts on the booster campaign that we did either because of international shipping or because it only went up to uh, 2XL or it didn't go small enough. I think there were a few of those, too. Um, what, so what fat Americans that? and and foreigners. <laughs> or yeah, fat the, foreigners. Ch- Chuck, maybe you can talk about what ca- what booster campaign you're referring to. Right, so that was for our T-shirt campaign. We've actually gone ahead and started another campaign. This one's on Teespring, and they do international shipping, and they have a few more sizes. So if you are looking and for And they those, have hoodies. Oh, yes. Yeah, hoodies. Yeah, I had to order me a hoodie. So anyway, <laughs> if you want a hoodie, you want a bigger shirt, or you want it shipped somewhere that's not the U.S., or if you want it shipped somewhere that is the U.S., then you can uh, get it. It's at teespring.com slash rubyroguestee, and uh, you can pick that up. We'll put links in the show notes so that you can find it. The campaign ends in about a week, so we didn't have as long a campaign on this one just because of the way that they work over there. But uh, we know people want them, so uh, go sign up. Go get one. Anyway... And then, Dave, don't you have something that you wanted to bring up as well? I, I do, and I, I'm a little distracted because I'm actually in, what I should have said in my introduction is I'm in Denver, and I'm actually sitting in Katrina's seat where she podcasts, and her audio setup is so much better than mine, and I'm really, really distracted by that. So I just wanted to point that out, that uh, I'm out in Denver visiting with Katrina, and it's awesome. So, But yes, I have an announcement today. So, um, hey, guys. Are you unemployed? Nope. No. Nah. I know. Me, me too. Do you hate your job? Nope. No. Uh-uh. No. You betcha. So do I. Are you worried about where your next rent check will come from if you get laid off? Uh-uh. No. Uh, no. Yes, me too. And that's why I'm writing the job replacement guide. Find your next job or gig in record time by using tricks and techniques that I've developed over a lifetime of being insufferable. Find out more about it at jobreplacementguide.com, where you can sign up for the mailing list to get advanced content, updates on the book, and a discount when the book launches. Job Replacement Guide, because, oh, crap. 
you know, Dave, I wasn't dissatisfied with my job before, but I am now. <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. So all joking aside, my record is four hours from getting fired cold to reporting for work at my next job. So I do know a little bit about what I'm talking about. It's uh, But I'm, I'm hoping to have as much fun with, with talking about it as it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a panic-laden subject. But I'm hoping to have a lot of fun with it. And uh, so that's my announcement. Jobreplacementguide.com. Check it out, please. Now I'm sad because my record is six hours and I'd never met anybody who had one shorter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess things move fast in Utah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, so, hey, Richard, how's it going? It's going well. Having a great morning. We, we yeah. should let Richard introduce himself. Yeah. The Heroku guru guy. Okay. Uh, I'm the Heroku guru guy, apparently. I work uh, for Heroku. I, I am a Ruby Task Force member. I also uh, teach at the University of Texas down in Austin. I teach a Ruby and Rails class, and I don't know, I play StarCraft or something. <laughs> you you, you, you also don't sound talk- sure about that. Did, are yeah. you good? It might be Tetris. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's StarCraft or something. I'm... Yeah, well, you know, you throw out the professional stuff, and then you kind of throw a throw an oddball answer. Like, I'm a Space Camp graduate. Uh, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so you know, I, I couldn't quite pick StarCraft. Yeah. I'm going with StarCraft. Okay, and, cool. And your Schneem's online? Yes, Schneem's online. I have a bunch of uh, videos on YouTube under Schneem's. And I've seen you speak at a bunch of conferences. That you write a bit. So yeah. you're all you're all over the place from, from time to time. I'm a wild card. You're a wild card. Does does that mean you need a special kind of cert for the <laughs> <Nick> lookup? <laughs> they cost more. <laughs> yeah. mm. Cool. So you're a wild card. Great. So uh, we so does that mean that we don't know what we're talking about today? Uh, so at um, <laughs> at Heroku, uh, I I work on the Ruby Build Pack, and this is the special uh, piece of software that actually accounts for. Um, installing everything you need on the system to actually run your Ruby program. So uh, you see the bundle install flying by, the assets pre-compilation kind of crawling by. I, along with uh, Terrence Lee, am uh, responsible for that. So uh, we've been doing a lot of performance optimization, and um, I'm interested in talking a little bit about that. Richard, you just you just went from "Who's this Richard guy?" to "I love you." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, mission accomplished. Yep. <laughs> Texas is home to a lot of very loving men. Yes. They just, you know, they put it out there. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So, so build pack. Um, this may, episode may, is already so weird and so <laughs> awesome. I'm running <laughs> we're, on we're, like three hours of sleep. This is great. Yeah. And, and, and we're lost without James. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, James. Yeah. Okay. So, so tell, tell us a little more about build pack. Because that sounds interesting, and I think many of us don't really know much about it or have never heard of it before. Yeah, so um, back, uh, take a little trip down memory lane. Uh, if you use the original version of Heroku, or the, the Aspen stack as it was called, um, whenever you deployed to Heroku, all you could do is deploy Ruby apps. And it basically just the way that they accomplish not having to install dependencies or like install a version of Ruby or anything is literally everything was pre-installed. Like you had one version of Ruby, 
you had only these handful of gems that were installed. And if you wanted anything else, like too bad, like you could, you could open a support ticket and kind of request that they gem install on every single system, which, you know, in some ways it was kind of cool because deployment was like insanely fast. Um, like you didn't have to do anything. And over the years, we've worked on making it, um, making it a lot more flexible. So after Aspen came Bamboo, where you could do, uh, and, and new tools developed, um, the ecosystem, uh, of Bundler came about, and so um, now you can install dependencies and actually proactively declare dependencies. And now, with our our latest platform, I think we released about roughly about two years ago. You're no longer even just limited to Ruby. You can we've got uh, support for uh, JVM languages, uh, Java, Python. Um, we actually just recently hired a uh, build pack maintainer for uh, for PHP. So that's going to be that's going to be pretty exciting. I know. A lot of Rubyists like to dig on PHP, but there's, I mean, there's a ton of web pages uh, and web apps powered by PHP these days. And also, think about the awesome opportunities for Drupal and Rails integration. <laughs> Drails. Rail, Rails pull. I really want to make a RuPaul joke, but I can't quite figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> There you go. So, uh, so basically what happens whenever you deploy is the platform essentially kind of hands the build pack all of your code. And so we, it's, it's a blank slate. We have to figure out what, what we need to do. So we, we take a look in your gem file and we, we pull out your version of Ruby. We install that version of Ruby. Uh, we install all of your dependencies via your gem file. We, um, we also take a look at uh, what version of Rails or rack or you know kind of different frameworks that you're using and there's just a ton of uh special casing and like anytime you've ever gone onto a forum post and they're like oh yeah hey everything works except for there's this one weird like little side edge case like we kind of have to handle that for every app on the platform ever uh so it's uh it's definitely interesting i've seen more than my fair share of really weird uh ruby bugs and you know, whenever you're handling the volume of Ruby deployments, the the one in a thousand or even like one in a million um, code edge cases actually happens kind of relatively frequently. Uh, so it's uh, it, it's a lot of fun. So do you just read the gem file and like bundle install everything? Or I'm hoping this is the case uh, because they're called build packs. Do you like figure out what the gem dependencies are and then go find something that's pre-built that you can just slam in as like the first three quarters of the slug and then, or the dino or whatever, and then build on top of that? Uh, so actually, uh, this kind of works really well into one of the uh, performance patches that we've, we've been working on. So in the last couple of months, we've managed to actually get deploy speeds uh, or the, the perk 50 of deploy speeds up by about uh, 40%. So essentially, on average, uh, deploy speeds are 40% faster today than they were a couple months ago. And was like we do a, a bunch, like what I gave earlier was kind of the oversimplification. Um, after we installed your gems, we do cache them. So basically, if you install Rails 4, you never have to install Rails 4 again, unless you do something like upgrade Ruby versions, which could potentially, you know, poison that, that cache. Um, you need a different version of the atomic gem since it's compiled. But uh, one of the really neat things that we've done is actually... Uh, taken a little bit of analysis and seen some of the most common installed uh, gems on the system and already had those available on the very first push. Like uh, one of our uh, usability goals is to just have Rails be able to work, uh, you know, Rails new and then get pushed Heroku Master. That's kind of our, our golden, what we're, what we're driving for. And we're also working for 
we would like our your first push to be basically ninety within ninety five percent speed of your second push, um, if for as as possible as that is. Um, so an example like the the Postgres gem, or even if you've ever had to install the Nokogiri gem, um, you know both can kind of take a little bit of time. So on uh, on certain versions of Ruby on the Heroku platform, we've actually pre bundle we've we've pre installed those and and make those available as a cache. And if your app needs them, great. It's already there. Doesn't have to install it. Boom, just works. If it doesn't need them, um, it gets cleaned up after the first push, and there's no real loss in speed. So that that's kind of one way that we've been sort of working at uh, getting back some of that awesomeness of just having a bunch of stuff pre-installed on the system, but also kind of allowing a lot of uh, a lot of flexibility. Um, so currently, that's only for our default version of Ruby, which is also uh, 2.0. Okay. Yeah. That's a pretty good recap. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, my takeaway from all that was that uh, deploys are going to get a lot faster, and there are going to be some nice new features. To oh yeah, keep an eye out for. Okay. Oh yeah, um, we're doing the, doing lots of stuff. Uh, just uh, shipped the ability to parallel install gems this morning. That's why I'm having such a good morning. Besides being on the show, what parallel gem install? Yes. So, but you can't install perpendicular gems, though. I tried. Didn't work. Didn't work. Perpendicular so, uh, gems are gems are the only normal gems, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, physics orthogonality joke. <laughs> so when you're talking about parallel installation, though, you're you're talking about installing more than one at the same time. Exactly. And you know we keep hearing about the concurrency issues with Ruby. So are you using something other than MRI, or is there some other thing that I'm just overlooking here or what uh nope it, it works on all versions of ruby that i know of it's a feature that was merged into uh into bundler itself so you can now run if you're using the most recent version of bundler you can run uh, bundle install dash j which was a really weird flag for me until somebody pointed out that it was jobs uh, so like j4 will give you install up to four gems at the same time and we're basically just using good practices uh using the uh queue for anytime we're trying to pass data in between any kind of threads or I guess uh, processes and and locks and just you know code reviews, good tests, all that jazz. Yeah. So I will install with multiple jobs. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, that. Is, hang on. I gotta go do something. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was quick. Yeah. 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 Th- there's a lot of of cool stuff that they've been working on for Bundler and uh, Ruby Gems and their integration. And we'll have to have an episode on that in a couple months once that all settles out. But it sounds pretty exciting. All that stuff that's that's been going on. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, one, I mean, with installing Gems, it's kind of a perfect candidate for doing parallel things with MRI because a lot of your time is spent doing things like network traffic and working with disks. And so anytime you're doing IO, like network traffic or working with disks, we don't have to have that, uh, that, that lock, that, uh, global interpreter lock. So, um, you know, you still get a pretty decent speed improvement, even if you're not using like JRuby or Rubinius. Okay. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Great. Okay. So what else? So you've been talking about Rails 4.1 changes and compatibility and, and, you know, the bold new world of secrets. Oh, yes. Yeah. Are you all familiar with the secrets YAML? Con- conspiracy? No. <laughs> it's a, well, I didn't know about the conspiracy. 
Tonight at nine. So, okay. This is kind of a thing that's been going on in Rails for a while. The security thing. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's up and coming in the community where people care about secure apps. And one of the ways that Rails used to get nailed before like all of the remote code execution was cross-site request forgery, where somebody can actually make a request and make your Rails app think it came from your own owned trusted web page. So secrets.yaml was a way to kind of combat that and say like, all right, we're going to do it right. We're going to be really secure. We're going to make everything kind of secure by default. And so there is a token in there where we will actually kind of sign all of our secrets. And as long as this token is secure, it's just a random string, ABCD goldfish, then everything is kind of secure and, and everything's golden. But when it got implemented and shipped into Rails 4.1, there was kind of an issue. The secrets.yaml, which is, it's really similar in structure to a database.yaml, where you've got your production, your development, your test environment. It's just plain text, and it's not in the .gitignore file. So essentially, everybody who created a new Rails 4.1 app and then just did, you know, git init, git add dot, now had this token in their source control. And then if they do something, you know, Mm -hmm. silly, like open source their app, then, you know, they're completely open to attack. That was the big, I guess, kerfluffle, if that's uh, that's my word of choice for today. And I I believe it's pronounced kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. Oh, you know, I think I've gotten into a couple Twitter arguments on this. Or a kerfuffle? A kerfluffle is just so much gentler and friendlier and funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Do it at slumber parties. All of the above. So uh, there's a really long thread on GitHub where they were like, hey, yo, put this in the dot .gitignore. It's obviously secure. We should be secure by default. And they kind of went back and forth, and it was like, okay, well, you know, database.yaml isn't in a dot .gitignore by default. So, you know, what are we going to do? And at the end of the day, we came to the conclusion, okay, well, hey, like, it's a YAML file. We can put ERB in it. So if you want, you could read an environment variable from your YAML file. You can just put an environment variable there, which is something I Obviously, Heroku is a big proponent of. And it's actually interesting now with a lot more ability to run kind of these containerized apps locally. So like using something something like Docker, it's a lot easier to actually just be able to set things via an environment variable where it's not going to mess up your entire system. So now by default, it's actually going to be reading in your production config from this environment variable. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like I kind of went a little fast there. Can we get a TLDR on that? So... Whenever you push to Heroku, you're going to be secure by default. And even if your app is open source, nobody can just view your source code and hack your app. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Nice. My favorite security is the security I don't have to think about. Right. So I did hear that the next Rails release is going to have the secrets.yaml in GitIgnore by default. No. No? No. I thought that that patch got accepted. So, well, instead, by default, they're actually reading from an environment variable. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, so, so, so at least the default isn't your secret goes in your Git repo. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay. So it gives you the option if you did want to put it in GitIgnore, totally do it. If you're going to be using some sort of containerized deployment like Heroku, Docker, whatever, then do that. It just works by uh, default out of the box. Okay. I'd really oh, like nice. the, uh, the .env gem for, the, for that stuff. Oh, yeah. Branding keepers? Dot- yeah. You put your secrets in a .env file, which basically looks exactly like a bunch of environment variable assignments, and environment variables take precedence, but otherwise, they're loaded from there, and you can add that to your gitignore. Exactly. The the .env gem is a a way of life for me. Yeah. Yeah, I've been using it on all my projects. Awesome. 
I even wrote an Elixir version because I couldn't stand not having it. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that open source? Yeah. Okay, cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, and so the similar thing with database.yaml. So now we are going, so right, uh, a, a little, a little backstory. In the only way previously to configure Rails to work with, um, with Heroku was to actually essentially inject a file into your own, your code base. So we would overwrite your, your database.yaml file, which if you've been around the block a time or two, um, that doesn't sound like fun. That sounds like, you know, pretty nasty hacks uh, with unexpected, like, why doesn't this work until you like actually do Heroku run bash and then like cat your database uh, YAML file and realize it's not what you wrote. So we actually did a bunch of work to get rid of the need to do that. Um, so now it is also um, checked in by default and it will be defaulting to a, an environment variable and under a, a URL subkey. So you can say production and then underneath it you can say URL and then pass it a, a, an actual connection to uh, a connection URL to a database, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I did something. I, it sounds like what I've been doing in, in the app I've been working on uh, with, again, using .env. And I just, I mean, I, I'm pushing to Heroku, so I noticed that you've got the, the database URL all conveniently in an environment variable. So I just figured, okay, why not just do that locally as well? Um, yeah. So, you know, my local database, I have my, my local database URL, which is, you know, PostgreSQL colon slash slash or PostgreS or whatever colon slash slash, you know, user at host. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and that's in my .in file. And then, you know, when I push it up, it's using the one from Heroku. Works great. I don't know yeah. why we weren't using database URLs all this time. Yeah. So, well, it's, it's funny. Um, actually, and so in this job, being, uh, all of the different languages that we support, we're all grouped together in one team. So I actually get a lot of exposure to how things work in, say, like, you know, Python or Node and most of the, uh, of the languages actually, or most of the libraries actually prefer database URLs for connection instead of this kind right. of like a, a hash syntax. So, um, yeah, well, it's kind of the classic way to do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's stuff that you, I guess that you probably can't get into the URLs. I'm sure there, there are configuration variables like, I don't know, number of connections or something that yeah, yeah. you can't get in there. But, uh, for the most part, yeah, the URL gives you what you need. Recently, there I was alerted to a Rails 3.2 bug um, where in um, Active Record, you can actually specify a database URL and you can put like some query parameters at the end of it. So you can say like pool equals five and it just kind of mm. does the right thing. But one of the things, if you say prepared statements equals false, it comes back as a string and the string of false is true. It's so, true. <laughs> so it does, it, it, you've got awesome. prepared statements anyway. <laughs> Uh, JavaScript would have gotten that right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why aren't we all using Node? Okay. Uh, okay. So, uh, so Richard, uh, is there any other uh, any other new cool stuff coming along? Is the uh, so uh, I I don't know how many people know about the association between the twelve factor app design and Heroku, but it, you know the the stuff we've been talking about has been has been uh, you know fits in there. It, you know, fits in that whole twelve-factor design of decoupling things and using environment variables. Is there more about the twelve-factor that is uh, is getting supported more? Uh, you know, so I I definitely say yes. Um, I in terms of like when that will actually go in or or how it will look. Mm, you know, I kind of have no clue. Uh, 
one of the things that I'm really interested in is uh, fixing logging. So right now, if you're deploying Rails 4 under Heroku, you actually need a gem. Well, or you can manually just say, hey, log to standard out, because the Rails default is logging to a file. And that's, you know, works really great for, for locally. But as soon as you start running one, two, ten, a hundred different machines and you start saying, all right, now how am I going to actually put group all of these files together in kind of a time sequenced order? You know, it just, it, it becomes kind of a nightmare. And then you have log rotate to make sure that, you know, your logs don't crash your machine. And, uh, so getting logging, um, I guess, you know, I'm not going to say fixing logging because it's not really broken, but uh, making logging just a little bit more um, able to be compatible with a, a platform so that you just don't have to worry about it. It's something I'm, I'm interested in. Uh, also, definitely, this is not 12 factor related. So the, the um, uh, and the website who's, uh, Josh was referring to is, uh, is 12factor.net. So you can kind of go there and it's, uh, it's sort of a manifesto. Might, might be a little hard to grok. Um, I've got a talk actually that covers a lot of it, um, uh, called millions of apps, uh, what we learned that uh, more or less handles that. But, uh, so one of the, one of the other things that's coming is, uh, kind of better integration with sprockets. And when I say better integration, I don't really mean better integration with Heroku. I just mean better integration between development and production. So like that is something that we care a lot about in 12 factor where your production environment should closely match your development environment or, or vice versa. Uh, nice. You know, like, yeah, if you're going to be deploying to Postgres, like don't develop locally in Mongo. That's, you know, been there, done that. Anybody? No. <laughs> Okay. Smart enough to have avoided it. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You're building it up with Postgres and Mongo? Can you do that? <clears throat> so funny. There's actually a, uh, there's actually a project called Mongress. Um, since Postgres supports JSON data types, it, Mongress actually implements the wire, the Mongo like wire protocol basically and, and allows you <laughs> to think, have your app think it's using Mongo, but it's really secretly using a Postgres database. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Do not do this. <laughs> this. This sounds like uh, James Gollick's uh, friendly ORM, which was he got so mad at Mongo that he went and wrote a NoSQL adapter for Rails that would just stick blobs into, well, not blobs, I think JSON, into uh, MySQL. And, oh. Yeah, same idea. Sounds sounds friendly. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I don't know if you all have run into this problem, but there's... Uh, with with sprockets, like there's this whole idea of they will only precompile certain files. Um, so like application.css will be precompiled. So you can you can reference application.css from your HTML and you're fine. But if you try to say like, oh, I'm I'm I need this one specialized CSS file for this one specialized page, like search.css. If you do that, it blows up uh, because you didn't tell sprockets to essentially like pre-compile this file. So it's not even available like that. And that was done in interest of speed because everybody doesn't like how slowly it takes your sprockets to uh, generate. So this is by far uh, in a way, the most common support ticket that we get at Heroku. I mean, another kind of interesting thing about just being able to work with such a large platform is just seeing the common types of issues that come in regularly. And a lot of them aren't really Heroku issues, but rather a, you know, okay, it worked on my machine, but it doesn't work on production. And that's not necessarily a Heroku problem, but it's more of a, well, the the tools didn't necessarily point you in the right direction in development to let you know that you were doing something wrong. So I, I 
have a uh, a gem called Sprockets Better Errors that looks. I think it's actually merged into Master on the Sprockets Rails integration that will raise errors in development if you're doing something that will cause errors in production. I was about well, that, to say, that, if you so, see so, these so, problems, so, why don't you fix them? And it sounds like you are. So. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, that, that that sounds like it's like lint for your sprockets. Yeah, om- you know, almost sprockets lint. Every time I say sprockets, I uh, I just think of like George Jetson. <laughs> yeah, spacely sprockets. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jane, I uh, had to push the button twice today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so apart from apart from sprockets, hey, 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 hang on! Before we move on from yeah. sprockets, um, yes. I, uh, Richard, did you get to listen to the episode when we had uh, Ilya Grigoric on recently talking about HTTP2? I did not, unfortunately. Sorry. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so, Spro- so Sprockets was a bit of a topic on that on that show, and we were talking about how you know, you know Ilya was saying that you know, Sprockets is uh, like like an insane solution to the problem, and HTTP2 <laughs> is going to fix all that. And one of the one of the things that we talked about was like. You know, the Google and the Facebook, you know, giant companies that have all these big scaling issues, you know, like they have an interest in making or in solving problems a certain way that helps them. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm kind of, but it's like all these people who are just like doing little, you know, tiny little websites don't have the same kind of scaling issues. So a lot of the binary, you know, binary protocol aspects of HTTP2 might not necessarily be the best thing for, you know, your little, uh, you know, indie website. So Heroku is in an interesting position because you have like a big scaled pr- platform that you're working. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those same kind of things are going on. But the kind of things that HTTP2 is doing to, you know, bundle together all of your, all your downloads. I, I, I guess that's not something that'll work across your whole platform of all of your clients apps. Anyway, it, at some point we've <laughs> got to come back and talk about that. Like when HTTP2 is more of an issue. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, um, we're very much customer focus driven. If everybody, um, is, is saying, okay, we really care about, uh, I mean, it, and it sounds, it sounds silly. It's like, okay, we really care about like, uh, availability that, you know, that's where we put the majority of our effort. It's like increasing that or increasing, uh, speed, getting, getting these kind of things. Recently, we, um, one of, one of the biggest thorns in my side was that we didn't support uh, web sockets. So I, you know, talk to somebody and they'd be like, Oh, what's Heroku? I have, you know, I've heard it was kind of good, but you know, and here's what my app does. Can I run on Heroku? And it's like, they were using web sockets and I'd have to say no. Uh, but now we've, uh, we recently allowed, uh, allowed that through a beta feature. And it's, it's kind of one of those, if there's enough voices using it, then, you know, then it becomes something that we can prioritize and work on. I'm not going to say that I guarantee that, uh, we will be solving and, and working on all those problems. But I think the HTTP2 uh, case is is definitely interesting. I was recently reading an article uh, which was saying that on over something like a 3G connection, like mobile connection, using HTTP2, like it's basically, re- it's relatively negligible. Like the speed benefit just doesn't, like, like the things it's optimizing for on say a desktop experience doesn't you don't even run into those in, in mobile. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> after I brought that up, uh, I'm not, I'm totally not an expert in HTTP2. So, uh, you know, definitely maybe, maybe after that comes a little bit more into uh, the limelight, uh, could, could come on the show again, maybe. Yeah. So you, you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, not having a feature and then adding it in. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some pretty common restrictions that you have with, uh, Heroku, especially the free tier. And I understand why you have restrictions on the free tier. 
But uh, one of the things that bothers me sometimes is not being able to write to the file system. And that that's kind of a global thing. Well, boom, Wait, I just you fixed it. You, you you totally can. Yeah. Oh, you can? Yeah, you totally can. So unless unless you're using uh, an older unless your app is using bamboo, that was a read-only file system. Now now you're on um, a Cedar. It's an ephemeral file system. You can read to it. You can write from it or backwards. You can read and write, but after it's not guaranteed to persist to disk. Um, if your app restarts for any reason, then you lose everything you've written to disk. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I mean that that is kind of good. Uh, most people they start with one app and then they start doing things like writing images to of of avatars to that one uh, that one box and then they say oh now I need to scale out and now they have two boxes but they only have images on half of them so half of the requests come back with images and half of them don't so it, you know if you're using if you actually really really care about that thing that you want to write then you should write it to something that can be globally accessed uh, through through like a data store Postgres Redis or even like a, a blob store like S3. Mm-hmm. So uh, my answer to your boom, I fixed that is boom, you rock. Because, <laughs> because I mean, it's I've been in a position where it's like I go download a file that I need to parse, and mm-hmm. so I've got to kind of pull it in and pull it apart before it gets to the disk because I can't really write it. And so, so that that's definitely a good thing. Um, one other thing that I want to bring up is that uh, with most of the apps that I've uh, deployed to Heroku, the Dino spins down. Mm-hmm. And so then I have to come back and spin it up or I'll tell my client, oh, well, I set up a little staging environment over on Heroku and you can go get it here. And they go hit it and they come back and they go, it's not there. And I'm like, well, it will be now because you went and warmed it up. Mm-hmm. So this this is all part of our uh, of our free tier offering. We, we actually call that action sleeping. If you're for those listening along at home, if you're not familiar, Heroku gives you 750 hours, which is is more hours than exist in a month um, per month to run an app for free. And and this is great, as uh, Chuck mentioned, for doing things like staging, sending it over to uh, your client, just like verifying that things work. And one of the ways that we're able to offer this amount of free things, basically for kind of forever, uh, if you if you go. With uh, some other platforms, they might say, okay, well, it's free for a really small amount for a year. But because we actually know whether or not your app is getting network traffic, and if it's if it doesn't get network traffic for an hour, then we basically spin it down and wait for it to get another request. And then we spin it back up. So we call that sleeping. If you really cannot sleep, right now there's only one way to disable that, and that's actually um, adding an additional uh, resource onto that app to make it no longer free. So th- that is one way, or uh, some people will actually just build insanely lightweight, you know, like rack-based applications, and it takes, I want to say, it, it in, in just my own personal metrics, it takes roughly about 10 seconds, maybe-ish, uh, plus or minus, to actually spin up your app, um, and then plus any time it takes to actually load your your application code. So every time you do like Rails server, if it takes like five minutes, then you know it's going to take five minutes plus ten seconds to unsleep your app. So yeah, totally. The 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 one way you can get around that is by bumping up your limit, or if you're really popular and you have somebody hitting your website once an hour, then you know that that's a way too. Is now a bad time to point out that I have multiple times written cron jobs on other servers to uh, check my page every 30 minutes just so that the Roku's app, the Dino doesn't spin down? 
Uh, so, so I won't point out that Heroku also has a, has a scheduler, uh, feature that allows you to basically run cron jobs on an app and <laughs> nice. you can do things like curl in that, uh, in that. Uh, but I, I, I will say with great, I don't know, great power, great, uh, scheduler ability comes great responsibility. If everyone and their cousin abuses this, then we're going to have to take the feature away. Um, Tragedy of the commons. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So. I, I like. I personally would love for there just to be a button to be like, okay, listen, I'm not going to scale out to a hundred thousand dinos. I'm, I'm no, mm-hmm. like, this isn't going to be a Facebook. This isn't going to be a, you know, whoever. This, I just want, I just want, I, I just don't want it to go to sleep. I just yeah. want to be able to pay for one dino. I don't want yes. to pay for two dinos just to pay for one. No, your yes. your first one's free. You're only paying for one. No, no, no. But I want to be able to pay. For- <laughs> so, so what you're saying is. <laughs> Because we give you one for free, you want the second one at a discount. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, uh, he, he wants, Josh he wants to be able to scale it. <laughs> I, I, I guess I can't do math anymore. I thought that when you pay, when you had, when you started paying for dinos, you were actually paying for two. Uh, no, whenever you, so yeah, whenever it's, you get that, you get that number free hours for mm-hmm. on your app, no matter what. So. Yeah. So whenever you, whenever you start paying, like it's weird math and we probably like, we're kind of an engineering company run by a bunch of engineers, uh, which is why I love working for us because I love using, like eating my own dog food every day. But, but we all know engineers can't do math or, yeah, but or we, eat dog food, but we can't, uh, the, the math thing. Um, so yeah, if you, if you basically, if you had, if you say use four dinos, which is kind of our, that's how we measure usage Four should theoretically give you, you know, four X number of, uh, of, of server processes, yeah. um, then you are paying for three of them. You actually still get that first one for free. Oh, Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I think yeah. what Josh I mean, is saying is he wants to be able to pay for a don't go to sleep flag <laughs> on his on his single dino. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, especially since there are like you said, there are issues that you only have to solve when you're scaling up to multiple servers. Mm-hmm. So, sometimes it's, it would be nice just, you know, let me just pay to get this thing up and running all yeah. the time, but I don't want to solve those problems yet. Right. Yeah. Can you guys implement a feature where the second dino just redirects to the first? <laughs> and then, and then I don't have to solve the scaling problem. Boom, done. I don't, I don't know how that works. <laughs> so, okay, so I want to know. No, 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 no. To solve your scaling problems, everybody just knows use use Node, right? Rewrite all your code. <laughs> Active Record has callbacks. Node has callbacks. Mean stack. Woo! <laughs> all right, so I want to know what other dumb things are people doing in their Ruby apps that are on Heroku. Uh, what uh, what dumb things? Oh, uh, oh, oh, you get to see oh, so many oh, apps. Oh, oh, how many apps on Heroku are running Redbrick? Oh my gosh, uh, more than I care to say. So, so if you don't <laughs> background, <laughs> um, if you if you ever just run like Rails server locally, you're probably on just you run Rails new Rails server. You're using Webbrick, which is like a default built-in server that comes with Rails standard library. And it's actually surprise it's surprisingly like not a bad little server, but it's not exactly like a production grade server. I don't know how would you all define Webbrick? Uh, it's simple and reliable, but not necessarily scalable. Hmm. If 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 Webbrick was a cartoon character. 
<laughs> no. Uh, so anyway, if you if you if you just pop a Smurf, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So 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 I mentioned previously we we're driving towards that ideal where so you can just do Rails new, get pushed for Roku Master, boom. But if you do that, you're telling you're basically still using Webbrick, and we want to be able to support this because there's a lot of people. You know, if you're trying to push out a demo in you know, 30 minutes or, or, or just you have a client meeting coming up and you just want to get something working really quick, really fast, You or you just want to show your student project or like you really literally do not care about performance. Um, you're just mocking something up like convention over configuration, right? Like just use whatever is available. But if you need that performance, um, originally we were recommending using thin just because it's super simple to use. Like you just drop it into your gem file and we'll automatically use it. Or uh, now we're actually using, we're recommending, um, multiple uh multiple process uh kind of backends one of them is is unicorn and the other one i really like that i've been playing around uh with is uh is puma we don't have official documentation for puma but um i would like to uh, i'd like to get some I, I saw a tweet via evan phoenix saying he'd be interested in in working whatever kind of edge cases we had uh had there so to answer your question, a lot. We have a lot of people using Webbrick, and some of them are kind of like, hey, my app is really slow, and I don't know why. And it's like, well, don't use Webbrick. It, it, is that the kind of thing that would – it seems like perhaps a little education and a little feedback from when you do a, you know, a Git Push Heroku, mm-hmm. that it would just say, hey, dude. You're using Webbrick. Is that what you want to do? Yeah. So my um, – I, I have a – we have a couple of different ways to communicate with our users. We ha- so we do have a developer zone, developer center that has all these articles that's like, please don't use Webbrick, please. Uh, but you know, you can't necessarily count on people to read the docs. And my mental model of this is, is I want it to be like obvious. I just want it to be in your face. Um, you know, kind of, kind of almost information on demand. Uh, so we can do things like actually see like, oh, hey, you aren't using a, you aren't specifying a different server or um, on Heroku, we actually have a, it's called a proc file. And that's how you tell us how to run your web server. And we, we can do things like say, Hey, you aren't using a proc file. Therefore you're using Webbrick, Therefore it's going to be slow. Uh, the, the, we're slowly getting there. We're doing some things like uh, mostly I've been focusing on errors. Uh, so like if you try to install SQLite, if you try to use SQLite in production, that's just like a bad idea, trademark, bad idea. And so, like, if you try to do that, instead of just blowing up and saying, like, oh, we don't have the SQLite headers installed on the system, we actually give you a comprehensible, reasonable uh, error message that tells you why you're getting it, how nice. to fix it, you know, kind of kind of a link um, explaining more. And, um, you know, definitely down the road, I do plan on, um, or together, you know, Terrence and I, we, we plan on adding more of these helpful kind of nudges in the right direction. But you, mm-hmm. you, you also kind of can swing both ways, right? Like, I don't know if you've run the, uh, run the Rails test suite recently, but like, it's impossible to see the actual tests because there are literally so many warnings in the output. Yeah. So like too much, it's, it's like too much information is also a, a, a bad thing. Like we're already putting some, a couple of different warnings in, um, in the output and people miss them. Like even if you're, mm-hmm. you have docs and you give it, you, you, you give it to them on a platter. Um, I actually would be interested in, uh, in, in going like maybe even a step further and being able to profile an app and say like, okay, here are all, here are the like, whatever, 10 things that could be improved about this app. And maybe sending, sending that person a, like, 
a casual email and say, hey, did you realize like this is a way? So so it's not like a lot of times when people are deploying, they're like in the heat of the moment. They're, they're, they just wanted to get it out there. Or like even worse, people don't read warnings, even if it says like warnings and is rolled up in a nice pretty package at the bottom that people just see like, oh, okay, it worked. And this is, uh, this also I think comes with time. Like the more somebody, the more senior someone is, the more likely they are to, to see those. And even if not, like it's okay. It's, we're human. Um, or some of us are, most of us robots. Hey, 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 I'm wondering if there, if there's some sort of like opportunity for a plugin with, uh, with new relic. I know that there's uh, like a free level of New Relic that you can get on Heroku and that you've pretty much offloaded all of the app reporting stuff to New Relic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like the little dashboard that you get for an app. Um, mm-hmm. And like you could probably be putting, you know, app status things and, and, you know, like more things about like the proc file warning or, or you're using Webrick over mm-hmm. there or... Uh, I mean, New Relic lets you do plugins and kind of things like that. You could probably also, you know, somehow do some kind of integration with reporting exceptional app status through the New Relic interface. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I, I think something like that would be great. One element that we are pretty passionate about is um, is visibility. So do uh, you guys know Ryan Dot Smith? His oh, yeah. name's just yeah. his name's just Ryan, but I have to call him Ryan Dot Smith because that's his Twitter handle. I, I don't know. So one of his, one of my favorite quotes of his is, you don't have a performance problem, you have a visibility problem. Because if you knew what was slow, you just fix it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same. Like if you knew you were using WebBrick in production, like you, you would just fix it. It's like a two second fix. So one thing that, that we have been interested in is how to kind of aggregate that, that data. Uh, and one of the ways we've done that is actually through, um, through logging. Basically, Heroku, so we say log to standard out, but other things like even add-ons can actually send information to your logs. And depending on how they're set up, other add-ons can actually be set to read information out of your, out of your logs, just uh, certain information. So, um, if we, if we did, we could actually just pipe some data in there that says like, Hey, here's the five things you need to be fixed. And then, um, not just new relic, but you know, anybody like, uh, if you, if you wanted to create a, you know, startup or, or whatever that, that did that. Um, and you can make those, uh, also like the, the, the way that we are set up, Heroku set up is we are very, very distributed, very like, you know, people say service oriented architecture, but whenever you say that, a lot of people think like, oh, okay, you just take each model you have and like, you know, make that an API. And then I don't know, you do, and then magic and it's service oriented architecture. Um, so like the Heroku dashboard is a completely separate app from our like API endpoints is a separate app from our logging. And, uh, if, if you did something like that, you know, we might even say if there's enough people asking for it, asking for that visibility, we can, we can actually build something into our, our dashboard. Um, and so yeah, would be totally awesome. Cool. Total plug for something like nobody knows about is uh it's called log runtime metrics that was my whole that was why i even spun up to the whole logs thing the log runtime metrics will actually take um like memory usage and uh, data off of your dynos and stick it into your logs and you can then use something else that will pull that data out and can actually graph um, system usage of your apps and so it's a way to get a really, really low uh, level amount of information without having to um, actually, you know, get it yourself. Like it's, if you don't want it, who cares? If, if you don't look at it. If you do, it's right cool. there. Like, very, very cool. Okay. So we've been talking about performance a lot. Got to ask you about the router performance or the routing performance. 
And uh, you know, th- th- this was an issue like a year ago with all the the rap genius stuff and all the drama around you know transparency and communication around what's going on with router changes and how to deal with them in your app and how not to lose requests. Mm-hmm. So the, and I I know you guys have been working on that behind the scenes and making things better. And every now and then we hear something about it. So I'm just curious, like what's the state of the world today, and you know what's what's coming at us. The state of the Heroku Union. So, uh, funny enough, I was actually on vacation when all that happened, and then immediately from vacation went to Australia RubyConf, where I added in an extra 10 minutes worth of slides to my presentation addressing that, and I started getting phone calls in the in the middle of it being like, are you talking about this, like, in public? <laughs> um, like, send, like, like, send us your slides immediately. Uh, and then I sent them, and they were all like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's, like, all valid, just... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, I mean, it's, it's like, part of it is a, you know, kind of expectation issue, and I think in, the, that was one of the, one of really the biggest problems where we weren't setting up the right expectations on how to be successful, um, as a customer and, or like a, you, and a user of our platform. One of the things that we've done, you know, since that is like very proactively go after, um, a lot of our largest applications. And, you know, say to them, like, where are you experiencing pain? You know, what, what is slow? And they can, then they can actually come back to us and, and say, okay, well, hey, like, I, I've got this weird request queuing metric, uh, inside of New Relic. Like, you know, how, what, what's going on there? So I, I, like, this is definitely something in terms of just performance on the platform, period. Like, we are, uh, we're 100% dedicated to, uh, we've now, like, it's kind of fun. Like, in, inside of Heroku, like, if you, like, really want to work on this, like, project, you're just like, oh, I'm going to work on this. And people are like, eh, and you're like, oh, but it'll get performance. Everybody's like, yeah, 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 do it. So, like, something we're, we're, we're gung-ho about. Uh, but, like, specifically with the request queuing, um, one, like, one of the, the biggest mitigators is, like, so, I, I guess, uh, oh, it's, it's like I need diagrams and stuff. Just uh, like I, there's so many analogies. Like you could you could think of it in terms of like you're running a supermarket and you're trying to check out the most people as quickly as or, or have the least amount of wait for each person. Um, and so some supermarkets actually have somebody telling you like which you know which line to go into. But there's actually uh, you know there's actually a good amount of overhead in doing that. Actually having to find out which line is 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 short, which line is not. And sometimes, have you ever gotten into the wrong, like, line? Like, you're like, oh, that line is totally shorter, and then somebody... Richard, is there a way not to get in the wrong line? (laughs) Uh, Ah, yeah. The other line always moves faster. Yes, the other line always moves faster. And so this, basically, this is the same problem we run into with distributed queuing. And it is, it is, like, literally a really hard problem. Like, a, you know, people have PhD theses and white papers to, you know, spend years of their lives, like, looking at this thing, and then kind of come back and say, well, you know, like, we, you know, we we weren't able to get any better than, uh, better than random. So, if you're using a, uh, something along the lines of, like, an ELB, which is, like, Elastic Load Balancer or, like, Nginx to do load balancing in your apps, um, you'll get this kind of style of round-robin Routing, where in, say basically instead of picking what you think is going to be the fastest line, you kind of just get the next line. So even if one line is slower or another line is slower, like over over time, it it'll just average out. And this, so it actually works pretty well, like provided you don't get too many slow requests kind of backed up 
inside of one another. Like if you get one really slow person behind another slow person behind another slow person, then, you know, as opposed to it, like you start looking at, oh, hey, our, our average is low, but then you start looking at like, oh, well, then this one person had to wait 10 minutes to, to just buy a grapefruit or something. So if you can do something intelligent at the end of that, like if you actually know whether or not uh, a, a line is available, a line is open, just waiting and ready, then uh, then it, it speeds it up quite a bit. So you, using a parallel backend like Puma or Unicorn is something that people can do right now. They can do this today to kind of really, really mitigate the, the, the problems, um, that you will see with a style of, uh, of, of routing that, you know, I'm not going to say necessarily it's, it's, it's industry standard, but it is used in, in a lot of different places. And this is something like we have a, uh, so for all, like I know Ruby, everybody in Ruby is massively like in love with Erlang right now. Um, you'll be happy to know that all of our routing is written in Erlang and, um, we're, we're adding more people to our team and doing things like actually running simulations on whether or not something like a parallel distributed lock system would, would be faster or actually, uh, you know, just these, these kind of questions like, Hey, we have this problem. How, you know, how are we going to solve it? What can we do? Um, education is totally one of the things, um, but also like Heroku tends to be the above and beyond platform. You know, if we can just take care of this problem for you, like we would, we would love to be able to right now. It doesn't look like, like that's going to be, we're going to be able to just snap our fingers and, and make it go away. It is just a, a, a kind of a fact of reality, but definitely we have some really cool stuff uh, in the pipeline that I totally cannot talk about right now that uh, is going to be pretty helpful there. So you could just tell us and we'll, we'll leave it off the air. <laughs> yeah. It's not like we're recording this or anything. <laughs> yeah. Get the serum. Yeah. Just, yeah, just between us. <laughs> no JS uh, there. I said it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. You're not my father. That. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna use Ruby code to generate PHP code, throw it through hip hop, turn it into C. Yeah, and then run it on the JVM. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so I have I have an, a quick uh, callback to the performance, but in a specific implementation. Yeah. Um I needed to throw up just like a one page app recently for mm-hmm. a website I may have have mentioned uh, on today's show. And I was frantic because uh, the episode before this one went up a day before I thought it was going to, and DNS was broken, and oh, no. the servers were screwed up. Yeah, it was, just, it was just like this huge frantic, I just need to get this index page placeholder up right away. Uh, what what should I do? And I ended up cargo culting. I'm going to take Heroku, and I'm going to put my index.html and the images and all that stuff like that. But I'm just going to write a config.ru, a rack app that just mm-hmm. does file open on index.html as mm. the action in the rack and I just cargo culted it. Is is that a bad idea is or or an awful idea? <laughs> uh so yeah, I mean like in in anytime you're trying to speed something up, like number one is visibility and and logging. Um, number two is just if you've been doing this for a while, then you learn certain things are are like quote unquote slow or slower than than other things. Yeah. And by almost by definition, touching the disk or any kind of network operations is going to be slow. So mm-hmm. if 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 you're doing something along the lines of using like maybe like caching that somewhere, like if it, if it is literally just a static file and you could, yeah. and, you can, and then you can cache it into memory and then just serve it directly out of memory. Or, it, you know, even if you can't do that and it's just a marketing page and you have a, a ton of them and you can put them into memcache, like that, that is going to be so much faster mm-hmm. than just reading 
uh, actually touching your your disk, you know, just going going into memory is going to be a lot faster. Yeah, or now- something something that um, I've seen a couple of people do with these like static sites is uh, so there's a website by the name of uh, NS Hipster that uh, Matt Thompson um, has publishes and he actually uses uses i believe it's either jekyll or middleman i want to say it's jekyll and uses uh uses that to generate the static html and then just puts it onto kind of s3 somewhere and then just routes the dns directly to that and um huh. that is, that is actually surprisingly performant if you want to even go like a step above that put it behind a cdn like you know yeah. like a fastly or there's, there's only going to be like 14 I mean, you can, people you can set up on a- the link you can set up page rules in, in Cloudflare. You can stick Cloudflare in, in yeah. front of it, set up a page rule that, that just says cache everything. And right on. Yeah. And that's, that's like, that's, that's on their free level. So. Oh yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. There's only going to be like 14 people that click on it. But I'm just worried that they're all going to click on it at the same time. So. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Hate to be that 14th person. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so we, we've been going out at this in a while. Is there anything that has been in the queue a long time and is about to time out for topics? So the, the only other thing I wanted to bring up was just that there are certain things that are kind of, I guess, really simple to do on a, a system like a VPS with a static IP address that you don't really get out of Heroku. And you can use plugins for those. But uh, I found that sometimes like setting up the plugin people have concerns about the cost because sometimes you have to pay for those and sometimes there's just a little bit uh, more of a barrier to using them. Have you found that that causes people trouble sometimes or for the most part are people pretty willing to just try out whatever service and plugin that is available? Uh, so uh, like we were just talking about static sites the other day and honestly and truly like if, if you're running a static site, you, the Heroku is not the best thing. Um, like we are, we, we would love to be the best platform for everything, but if you pick, like pick the right tool for the job, like Rails, Ruby, all, all these kind of things, like you started talking about sprockets, like making really complicated, uh, you know, really complicated problems, even more complicated by adding like SAS and like uh, appending all these, um, all these dependencies and all these other things, you know, then that's kind of where we really shine is, is making a complicated system easy. But if you're, if you're working with a, like a simple system, then like I, I recommend that. Like we, we do take stock of people's pain points. And, you know, I said previously that the, what the crowd wills, um, you know, what, what people are asking us for, you know, what our customer, what we are getting feedback. I, I mentioned previously, we were actively going and, and, uh, and working with, you know, some of these larger customers to, to find ways to eliminate some of their pain points, you know, as we find, maybe we might find, okay, well, you, you know, you mentioned static IP addresses, like maybe if that is a really common pain point, then that, that might be something that we could either, uh, if we can solve it in kind of a general way without too much coupling, then like that might be something we would address. But I also wouldn't be foolish enough to just say like, you know, no, use, use Heroku for everything regardless. Uh, like we want to be the best tool for the job, but if we're not, then, you know, maybe bare metal with like a dedicated IP address. Is that reasonable? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one other question I have for you is that a lot of, uh, apps use background jobs. Yes. Uh, you know, like uh, rescue or whatever. And it seems like the way to deal with some of those things has been to set up a, an, another dyno basically to run that. Is, mm-hmm. is that the way that you typically have people do that? And is that just not an option then on the free level? 
With the free level, you get 750 hours. That's shared across however you want to use that. If you wanted to spin up 750 dinos, well, no, actually, that wouldn't work. Uh, <laughs> so theoretically, if you could do this without us automatically charging you for it, spin up 750 dinos for one hour, you would get that for free. You don't do that. You can't. It's But um, anytime you run, like, say, the scheduler, um, that's actually counting against your hourly usage. So if you really just need to run this background job, you know, kind of kind of infrequently, uh, I actually wrote a gem called uh, called Threaded In Memory Queue, and it pretends to be a background worker, but it really just runs things in your local memory. You know, it's not a, it's not a great solution if you need things like persistence uh, of of those items of those jobs you're in queuing. But you could use something like that, or like there are some external services. Uh, to uh, one of them is called Hire Fire. Where if you don't need a persistent background worker, it's kind of it's kind of what we're talking about, right? Like we just need to do some things in the background sometimes, but not all the time. With a with a tool like HireFire, you can actually just tell it to spin up a. Um, I I don't know exactly how it works, but you can tell them, okay, hey, I'm going to throw something in the job, spin up one dino, and then kind of shut it back down just a, as soon as possible. So that's. Uh, that's one solution or or like i said doing it in memory uh just using threads like that's that's not ideal but um it's at least better than having to do it sequentially in 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 the actual request yeah that makes sense all right all right that's all my questions nobody else is piping up should we get to the picks <laughs> yeah I, I i guess so time for picks yeah right. yeah we we've, we've covered a lot that's been really good thanks richard this has been Ooh. a great show yeah absolutely David, do you want to start us with the picks? Sure. I'm going to reuse a pick. Uh, Katrina picked So Good They Can't Ignore You a couple months ago. And I started talking about this job replacement guide stuff. And James just just went nuts. He's like, Dave, go read this book. Go read this book. Go read this book. And it's my pick. Um, it is a fantastic book. And I was worried about halfway through the book that it was going to basically make my book useless and uh, and uh, like supplant it. And about halfway through, I figured out what the key secret behind his book was. And it is basically that you want to build up career capital that you can then use to acquire more control and autonomy in your job so that you can be happier at what you do. And the job replacement guide is actually the reverse of that, which is to uh, basically say uh, there's all this control and autonomy uh, that you want. And uh, it causes you to filter out all of the options that you think you have. And so if you if you can learn to take those filters down, you can find out that you're just surrounded by opportunities. I'm not actually pitching my book as my pick, but uh, just <laughs> by way of comparison. So, yes, yeah, so, so Good They Can't Ignore You is a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. it if you want to cultivate your career, he makes a a challenging assumption statement at the beginning, which is that follow your passion is bad advice. And if that offends you, you need to read this book because he will give you a really compelling case for uh, understanding passion and work and being good at stuff uh, way, way better than, uh, than you thought you had. So that's my pick. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds so good. I can't ignore it. Avdi, what are your picks? Well, um, I've been, doing some coding lately. I know that sounds crazy, but I have. And uh, so I thought I'd just quickly run down uh, some of the gems that I've been using that have been serving me well and that I haven't picked before. First of all, I've been doing uh, my own 
object relational mapping. I haven't been using an ORM for that. And uh, so I wanted a library that would just uh, make it really easy for me to talk to the database without trying to layer on a bunch of uh, object mapping on top of that. And I have been using the SQL library. It's the word SQL spelled out instead of SQL. And it's really, really nice. It, uh, it's it's kind of like, I think Ruby used to have a DBI library, uh, kind of like Perl's, that abstracted all different databases. And I think that long ago fell into disrepair. And it feels kind of like the new DBI. It does have an ORM layer, but you don't have to use it. You can just totally ignore it. So SQL's very, very cool and has support for a bajillion databases. Let's see, what else? I've also uh, been using the Pony Gem. I've never, honestly, never understood Action Mailer. And Pony is just a really, really simple way of sending emails from your application. You can do it any, send any email with a single method call. And so I've been using that for my emails. And finally, let's see the, um, oh yeah, the email spec gem. The, the flip side of sending emails from your application is, is if you're doing TDD, you really want to be able to test that you're sending the right emails to the right people at the right times. And the email spec gem sort of reaches its, its sneaky fingers into Action Mailer or Pony and basically makes them send, sort of stubs them out and makes them send their emails into the email spec system instead of, instead of out into trying to send them out into the world. And then you can very easily test to see what emails were sent and you can easily do things like simulate clicking a link inside the email that was, that was sent and fun stuff like that. So yeah, lots of good, good gems. Those are the ones I've been using lately. And uh, I think I've been talking long enough, so I'll just cut it off there. Awesome. Josh, what are your picks? Cool. Okay, I got a couple today. Uh, my first pick is, uh, okay, there's this uh, object-oriented programming language called Self that, you know, it's been around for quite a while, um, late 80s, early 90s. They were doing a lot of development. Came out of uh, Stanford and Dave Unger's group. And they just had a, a new release, the 4.5.0 version of Self, the Mallard release, or Majestic Mallard, uh, is... Uh, it just got dropped, and uh, it, I think it's pretty exciting. I love Self. It's a, a really interesting take on object-oriented programming. It was the first, I think, like really industrial-strength prototypical language, uh, and there's a lot of cool stuff in it. And what's really interesting is that if you're using the JVM, you know, the Java Virtual Machine, to run JRuby or Java or Scala or what have you, a lot of the uh, the VM performance technology came from the work that was done on self. So, and, and I think, I think it's a great language. It's like, um, it's like the scheme of object oriented programming. You know, there's, there's like a half dozen concepts in the language and that's it. So, so it, so the, the Mallard release, it runs on OSX. There's a disk image you can download to, uh, you know, install binaries and it's pretty simple to get going. And I, I think it's a lot of fun to play around with. So, so, uh, that, that was a long rambling pick, but there you go. And then I have, uh, um, a gadget pick, which is, uh, you know, I've had an iPhone five for, for like a year and every now and then I, I drop at a small distance and it's usually just, I mean, it's never really suffered any damage, which is a testament to their new design, but I really like having a bumper case, uh, just because I like the way it feels. And uh, and I found a good one, finally. There, there weren't really any good ones, but uh, I think that it's pronounced Spigen. S-P-I-G-E-N is the company. They have a lot of really nice cases, and I found one that I like a lot. It's a bumper case. And uh, and one of the things I like about it is that you it's two pieces. There's like a rubber uh, bumper and then a, a plastic case that goes, or a frame that goes around that to keep it on. And they have like 
I don't know, two dozen different colors of, of those frames. So it's, it's like super customizable. And then I have a, um, a completely fun pick, which is, um, HBO, you know, it's a TV pick. So HBO has a new series that by the time you hear this, um, just premiered over the weekend, it's called looking and it's the story of, uh, you know, three men, you know, three friends living in San Francisco looking for love. And it's surprisingly good. I, I was really lucky and got to go to the premiere of it here in San Francisco this week. And it uh, really exceeded my expectations. It's the first show I've seen that I think shows gay characters on TV that felt real. And so I, I, it's, it's a short series. It's like eight episodes or something, but it, it looks really good. So, you know, I think it's going to appeal to a, a lot of people and I, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the series. Okay. That's it for me. All right. Um, well, I'll throw a couple of picks out there. When we went out to Disneyland, uh, with the kids, there were some things that we got that were really, really uh, nice to have. And so I'm just going to pick a few of those. Um, the first one was is that we got them these tablets. Now, the first tablets we got, we got them off of a, a local deal site. They turned out to be uh, crappy. They Three of them don't work. One of them never worked. The other one died uh, within an hour of coming out of the packaging and being turned on. And the last one died after about a day. And then the other one still works for some unknown reason. So we sent those back, and we got some from Amazon that had some better reviews, and they have been awesome. So I'm going to put a link to those in the show notes. Also, there is this RavPower wireless streaming device that I picked up, and you can put an SD card into it, or you can actually plug a USB hard drive or or USB key into it, Um, and then you can put movies and music on there, and it will actually stream the media to up to five devices with no glitches, and it's really handy. It transmits its own wireless signal, so you can actually just get onto its wireless and then get the media. And so it was nice to have in the car because then the kids could just, you know, get on and watch whatever movies we had on there. And then I bought a 64-gigabyte SD card to go in it, and I filled it most of the way up with movies. And uh, amazingly, that's quite a few movies. And so uh, then their little tablets the ones that worked anyway, um, even though they only had eight gigabytes of, of memory in them, they had access to 64 gigabytes worth of movies. And so they could just pick and choose what they wanted to watch. So uh, it turned out to be just this super duper way to go. And I, I can't say enough good things about it. So really, really happy with it. So I'm going to pick those. Um, incidentally, the Rav Power wireless streaming device, if you get in and configure it, you can configure it to actually connect to another wireless uh, for its internet connection. So then you can be connected to it and get the audio and video files off of it, and you can still connect to the Internet. But uh, when we were driving down the road, obviously that wasn't an option. So um, we just did it the other way, and it worked really, really well. So anyway, those are my picks. Uh, Richard, what are your picks? All right. You you all have a, a book club right now, right? Oh, yes. I think it's um, is it Ruby Under a Microscope. Is that, yep, is that correct? Pat Shaughnessy. All right, I have a complimentary pick to that. Uh, my pick is uh, KNR, the C programming language. Uh, lots of uh, lots of Ruby programmers these days are going polyglot, and I see no reason why we can't go uh, go back to the basics. It's it's what MRI is written in, and I've been going back through it, and it's uh, it's it's fun. It's also nice to be reminded of why I love uh, programming in in Ruby. Some of the niceties that it gives me. 
Another another pick, uh, totally self-serving, um, is codetriage.com. So this is a service, if you're interested in helping out more with open source, then you can go on to codetriage.com. Uh, so let's say you're interested in in helping out with Rails, you can go to uh, codetriage.com slash Rails slash Rails and actually subscribe to get unresolved issues where then you you can either lurk and just see, okay, what kind of things are uh, are happening in Rails these days, or you can actually go on there and help um, if it's a if it's a bug, you can verify it. You can check version numbers. You can reproduce it. Maybe uh, even pick up some pull requests there. I know a couple of people who have gotten into um, core contributors groups using using this tool. So uh, codetriage.com and like I don't know if I can do this, but Ruby Ruby 2.1 is totally a pick of mine. I am picking this so hard. If you look at the Rails test suite, it runs on a bunch of different versions of Ruby, and the Ruby 2.1 version runs like 25% faster. It's just it, it like it's speed, pure speed. So I I guess those are those are that's about all the oh oh I actually I have a book as well. This is another self serving pick. Heroku up and running. You can totally edit that out if you want, but uh, that is a book that I wrote and I think it's pretty good. All right. Cool. We're, we're all in favor of shameless self-promotion here. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Is there anyone else writing a book? <laughs> uh, yes. Um. <laughs> oh, oh, also, um, recently, Amin Gupta's blog has had some amazing stuff, uh, especially about Ruby 2.1. If you're not reading that, then you're missing out. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, Amon is, uh, we're, we're having a chat with him these days about, uh, how soon we can get him on the show to talk about some stuff. So Excellent. Cool. I, I will be tuning in. Okay. <laughs> All right. With that, I guess we'll wrap up. I do want to remind you about our book club book. As Richard pointed out, we're doing Ruby Under a Microscope by Pat Shaughnessy. So be reading that. And if you want to get more of us, you can't get enough of us, then go to rubyrogues.com slash parlay and uh, sign up for our community forum. Thank you for listening. And remember, you're our favorite listener. Don't tell the other listeners.